Jeroboam, son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zeredah, a servant of Solomon, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, rebelled against the king. The following was the reason he rebelled against the king. Solomon built the millow and closed up the gap in the wall of the city of his father David. The man, Jeroboam, was very able. And when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. The Bible, in general, is not a big fan of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. According to the Book of Kings, he was the man who broke the great Israelite kingdom of David and Solomon in two, the north from the south, in a great rift that was never healed. The Bible labels him a rebel and a traitor, and, even worse, an apostate for teaching his people to worship outside of Jerusalem. But, briefly at least, there is a glimpse of another story, a much more sympathetic story to be told. I'd like to tell that story. This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 5.5 A Very Able Young Man It was a very big deal when King Solomon came out to inspect the building project. Still a young king, he had set his sights on taking the capital that his father David had passed on to him and making it a world-class city. One of the first projects, of course, had been an expansion of his father's house. Located on the east side of Mount Zion, the palace had been built onto one of the fortifications of the old Jebusite city that David had conquered and made his own. The Great Wall looked out over the Kidron Valley, but there were some problems with this ancient wall. When David had built onto it, making it a load-bearing wall for his new house, it began to show some stress, and some of the stones began to shift over the mountain's edge. And so, something needed to be done. The king looked out over the worksite. Dozens of men scrambled around carrying heavy stones. They were placing them precisely, following the instructions of a supervisor who spoke with a northern accent. Tell me, said the king to his minister, what is the name of that young man who is directing the work? He seems a, a very able young man. 
He certainly seems to know what he's doing. Ah, yes, replied the official. As usual, your majesty has a keen eye for talent and ability. That man is Jeroboam, son of Nabat. He was sent down here to serve your majesty by his people in Ephraim. It was he who came up with the plan to shore up this wall. He calls it a millow, a structure a little bit like the terraces that they use in the hills up north. It seemed like a good plan, and so we have let him direct the work himself. The king smiled broadly. I shall certainly want to keep my eye on this uh, Ephraimite, is he? Let us return when the work is done, and perhaps we will be able to reward him for his vision and industriousness. When the king returned to the worksite, several weeks later. He was very pleased indeed. The young man, Jeroboam, conducted the king around the millow himself while answering his many questions. Solomon's mind was filled in those days with all of the building projects that he wanted to accomplish and so he was keen to learn whatever he could about how to build so that things would last. The millow now looked like a curving set of small steps, climbing up to the great wall at the top. Jeroboam explained how the weight of the stone piled in this way had the effect of strengthening and shoring up the wall above. The king shook his head. I don't think that any of my men here would have been able to come up with such an amazing plan. You have my gratitude for your intelligence and ingenuity, my dear Ephraimite. But talent such as yours should not be wasted on such small projects here in Jerusalem. Ah, oh, there is so much more that I want to accomplish for my kingdom. I have some plans for you, wonderful plans. I want you to come and see me tomorrow, before noon, in my audience chamber. Yes, I think we may have some very interesting things for you to do. The king left and his advisers with him. But Jeroboam remained where he was, lost in his thoughts. He hadn't really wanted to leave home and come to Jerusalem. He never thought that he could make a life here. Jeroboam's father had died when he was very young, leaving him alone with his mother, Zeruah. From that point on, Jeroboam had just taken it for granted that the fortunes of his family and of his mother all fell upon him.
he never would have left, unless his mother had urged him to do so. If she hadn't told him that he must take advantage of every opportunity that Yahweh gave him to serve his people in Ephraim, and if he could do that at the side of the king in Jerusalem, well, then that was what he must do. And so Jeroboam had come. And now it seemed that perhaps he had his opportunity. He thought of how he might help the king better to serve the people of the north. Perhaps if Solomon could understand the strengths and the wisdom of the people of the northern tribes, if he could give them the freedom to pursue their own plans and creative solutions to their problems, why, there might come a great flourishing for the people of Ephraim and Manasseh. Yes, Jeroboam said to himself, if the king would listen, he had many helpful suggestions to give. The next day, Jeroboam entered into the audience chamber, wearing his very best robe. The king looked up and greeted him with a big smile. Ah, he cried out in pleasure, the young man who built the millow for us. Do you know that everyone in Jerusalem is talking about what you have done? It is a magnificent achievement. Jeroboam bowed deeply before the king, as his face flushed to hear such praise. I live but to serve my lord the king, on behalf of my people, he said. Yes, yes, the king said thoughtfully. I have been thinking a lot about your people, especially about the house of Joseph. The house of Joseph, my lord? Yes, that is how we are referring to the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh in the north, in our planning. It is our understanding that both of these tribes are descended from Joseph, son of Jacob. They are large and influential tribes in that whole region, are they not? Indeed they are, my lord the king. Well, said the king, these tribes have been restive of late, causing trouble and unrest. And, since the house of Joseph is so large and influential, they are disrupting affairs throughout the northern region of our kingdom. We cannot have this going on. I understand, replied Jeroboam. But you need to realize that the people of Ephraim and Manasseh are a proud people. They are wise and creative, and they value their freedom. Yes, exactly, 
interrupted the king. That's what I was just saying. They are causing no end of trouble with their demands for freedom. We need to bring them to heel. And that's where you come in, my talented young man. I'm sending you back to your people. I'm going to put you in charge of forced labor in the north. You are one of them, from one of Ephraim's leading families, and so I'm sure that they will trust you and stop being so troublesome. I have many building projects I want to accomplish in the north, stables, barracks, and storehouses, and if you can get them done for me... I will reward you personally in ways that you cannot imagine. Jeroboam stood there stunned. He hadn't really heard anything since the king had said the words, forced labor. And now all he could do was blankly repeat those two words, uh, forced labor? Yes, yes, said the king. Oh, don't worry. I'm sure that you will do very well at it. You are such a bright young man. And now, off you go to get ready. I'll send some secretaries to go over the plans with you. Oh, I have some wonderful plans for you. Several days later, the preparations made and his bags packed, Jeroboam found himself on the road leading out of the city towards the north. Still, those two words were echoing in his head, forced labor. Jeroboam had grown up in Ephraim, hearing the stories of his people. And they were stories of forced labor. They were stories of how the people of Joseph had been forced to build cities and storehouses. They had been the slaves of the Egyptians. But Yahweh had seen the affliction of the people, had cared. And Yahweh had sent a deliverer to lead his people out, and a promise had been made. They might have been slaves in Egypt. From now on, though, they would serve only Yahweh. Never again would they be slaves to any king. Did the people of Judah know those old stories? Well, apparently they did. But maybe they told them a little bit differently in the south? The king, at least, seemed to have little remembrance of the great promises that God had made to the people. I mean, he could call it forced labor instead of slavery? But really, how was it any different from what the Pharaoh had done to the people? So... Jeroboam was 
deeply troubled as he walked. But what could he do? He was but a lowly servant of the king. He knew how wrong this was, how it would not only oppress the people of Joseph, but also that it would give the king anything but the stability that he craved. But no one would listen to him. What choice did he have except to go and do what he had been commanded to do? If he didn't do it, after all, the king would just find somebody else. Somebody who would abuse the people of Joseph without even knowing them. Jeroboam could at least try to make it less bad. And perhaps, if he managed to make it work, he would be able to rise in the ranks of the king. And then, maybe, he could have enough influence to change things. Maybe. It was the best that he could think of. Ahijah had woken up that morning with a strange feeling. He just had to get up and put on his best brand new tunic and go and wait on the road that led north out of Jerusalem. He didn't know why, but he knew that Yahweh was sending him there. Ahijah was a Levite, and as such, he normally would not have taken any interest in the politics of the various other tribes of Israel. But he served at the sanctuary at Shiloh, where he regularly welcomed and served and performed sacrifices for people who came from all over the tribes of Joseph and the other tribes of the north. He knew better than anybody what the people were dealing with and what they were struggling with. Ever since David had risen as a power in Jerusalem, he had sought to meddle in the affairs of the north to obtain from the tribes there whatever he could in order to build up the power and the wealth of his house. And all of that had been kicked into overdrive with the rise of Solomon, son of David, to the throne in Jerusalem. Ahijah knew that the people that he served were getting worried about what Solomon might require of them next. They were proud people, and they were people who believed that their God, Yahweh, had been willing to shake the nations to gain for them freedom from slavery to Egypt. They believed that it was God's will that they not become slaves to Solomon. 
so the people were feeling very rebellious. And, frankly, Ahijah was worried for them. If they resisted the king, the consequences might be very dire for them. At the very least, they needed somebody wise and clever to draw them together and give some way to them to express their rage. All of these were the thoughts that were churning through the head of Ahijah as he continued to ask himself, why had he come to this place on this day? It was then that he saw someone approaching on the road from the south, a young man pulling a mule with baggage piled on its back. He sprang forward. Jeroboam? Is that you, Jeroboam? Why, I remember you from when you used to come to Shiloh with your father, Nabat, and your mother, Zeruah, oh, so many years ago. Why, you look just like Nabat did before, well, before that terrible accident that took him from you. Oh, but how good to see you again. But I had heard that you were given the honor of serving the king in Jerusalem. Why are you heading back towards Ephraim again? Have you failed? Has the king sent you home? Jeroboam only managed to look at Ahijah for a few moments before dissolving into tears. Ahijah may have been a Levite, might have been supposed to hold himself above the affairs of the various tribes. But when he finally got the story out of Jeroboam, he could not help but be appalled. He knew just how much misery and hardship the young man's orders would cause among the tribes of the north. He stood and declared, now I know the reason why Yahweh has brought me to this place on this day. And with that, he stripped off all of his clothes until he stood there in his breechcloth. And he carefully ripped his beautiful new tunic into twelve pieces. He gave ten of the pieces to Jeroboam. Here, he said, Yahweh gives to you ten tribes. You shall be king over the house of Joseph and the north. You shall give to your people the freedom that they deserve 
so that they might serve Yahweh alone. Ahijah held up one of the remaining pieces of cloth. Solomon and the house of David, they will retain the rule over the tribe of Judah. Yahweh has spoken, and so it shall be. Jeroboam looked meaningfully at the one remaining scrap of cloth. And the other tribe, he wanted to know? Ah, he just shrugged. As it always has, the tribe of Levi, my tribe, shall remain above tribal politics and will continue to serve all of the people at Shiloh, or wherever they may go. So Jeroboam did continue on northward, but not to do Solomon's bidding. He began to travel around the settlements and among the tribes, speaking of freedom and sovereignty. Soon the north grew even more restive and troublesome for Solomon, as alliances were made among the tribes. And it didn't take long for the king to figure out what was going on. Word came back to Jeroboam that there were assassins and posses all over Ephraim, asking questions and looking for him. It soon became clear that things were getting so hot that there was no way that Jeroboam would be able to continue his activities. He gathered a few of his trusted new lieutenants, and they decided that the liberty of the North might have to wait for a little while. They strongly counseled him that he should get out of the house of Joseph. They would keep his story and his image alive while well, they all bided their time. They knew that Yahweh would give them the opportunity to find freedom for their people. Jeroboam had to agree, but the question remained, where would he go? As he reflected, the answer seemed ironic, but it also seemed the best course of action. My friends, he said, many generations ago, when our people suffered under slavery, one man knew that he had to do something, but it was not yet the time. He fled from Egypt to Midian to wait upon God's timing. I will flee from Ephraim to Egypt, but I too shall return when Yahweh says 
that the time is right. Much of the history that has been preserved for us in the Bible was preserved and passed down to us, as far as we can tell, through the southern kingdom of Judah, which was ruled over by the house of David. But the house of David clearly had little love for Jeroboam. He was the man that broke up the great kingdom of Israel that they believed had once been theirs, leaving them with a runt of a kingdom dominated by just one tribe. So the Bible regularly condemns Jeroboam as a great apostate, a betrayer of the religion of Yahweh. That is why I was a bit surprised to find the origin story of Jeroboam presented with such sympathy and understanding in the first book of Kings. I was also quite intrigued to find the suggestion there that Jeroboam might have played a role in building the millow an architectural feature of the ancient city that is mentioned a few times in the Bible. It is also a feature that may have recently been discovered in Jerusalem by archaeologists. See the show notes for some pictures. When we understand more of his story, how can we see Jeroboam as anything other than a strong, and sensitive leader who was looking out for the freedom and the life of his people. Whatever else he may have gone on to do, he was trying to gain something for them. That is actually one of the things that I really appreciate about the Bible. It certainly plays favorites when it comes to presenting its heroes and villains but it also has this wonderful way of letting the real story about something like the origins of the northern kingdom of Israel to shine through. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. Please subscribe so that you can get the next episode in a couple of weeks. A five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or some other podcasting platform is a great way to help other people find this podcast. The theme music for the podcast is Ada, and the mood music for this episode is Crusade Heavy Industry. The music is by Kevin McLeod. It is licensed under the Creative Commons and can be found at incompetech.com. You can contact me on Twitter at Retelling Bible, on the Facebook page Retelling the Bible. Show notes for this episode have been posted, along with some pictures of the Millow, at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. This is 
Retelling the Bible. And I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless.